Welcome to the WPC Sermon Podcast from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. This week's sermon is from Associate Pastor Leslie Dibble, titled Open and Unafraid, and applies Psalm 139 to our lives today, showing how we can be open and honest with a God who knows us. To find more information on our worship services and live stream, check out our website, westminstercharlotte.org. Now enjoy this week's message from Pastor Leslie. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts. Oh God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you? O Lord, do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Will you join me in prayer? Loving and gracious and glorious God, you are all together beyond us in every way yet you have come down to us in Jesus Christ to involve your holy self with our very human life and experience. We give you thanks and praise for your unending love, 
Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. In 2002, rock star Bono, leader of the band U2, contacted theologian pastor Eugene Peterson, who, by the way, had never heard of Bono at that time. I can kind of relate to Eugene. To thank Peterson for his writings, especially Peterson's biblical translation, The Message. For Bono, who had previously written a hit song entitled 40, based on his own translation of Psalm 40, putting present meaning into the ancient texts of Scripture made Peterson's style so relatable. The two of them developed a lasting, impactful friendship. What was so transformative for Bono was Peterson's emphasis on the artistic gift of metaphor used in Holy Scripture, especially present in the Psalms. In the Psalms, the truth about God does not exist on the other side of the metaphor. It exists through the metaphor. This gift is one way that God invites us to get inside the truth of Scripture about who God is and who we are in a way that speaks to us in very deep and meaningful ways. For example, when the psalmist in Psalm 18 writes, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in who I take refuge. What does it really mean that God is a rock? Peterson, who was a Hebrew scholar, translates this phrase in these words. God is bedrock under my feet, the castle in which I live, my rescuing night. In other words, God's character and reality can be trusted always to rescue and to redeem. Bono stated that one thing that had made him skeptical of Christians was their lack of realism or honesty. And he saw anew through his readings and friendship with Peterson that the gift of metaphor and symbol in the Psalms was God's invitation to be honest. God's invitation to be honest, to be open and unafraid before him as we pray our lives before God. Bono stated, here art becomes essential not decorative. From that budding friendship, a short film out of Fuller Seminary was made of Bono and Peterson discussing the Psalms, and subsequently a recent book by the man who made the film, David Taylor, was just published, entitled Open and Unafraid, The Psalms as a Guide for Life. The Psalms are God's gift to us, the Psalms teach us to pray. The Psalms are tools that God uses to work His will into our bodies, minds, hearts, and souls. The Psalms were the prayer book of Jesus, and they have been the prayer book of God's people since they were originally composed 
over 3,000 years ago. There's something to be said for the honesty, the brute honesty that's found in the Psalms. They use a language and a voice that reaches deep into our hearts and speaks to the entire experience of being human on this earth. They express things that all of us feel, but many of us don't care to talk about. As Owen uh, said, we are beginning a series called Psalms for the Road. And we're gonna look at several different Psalms covering the many seasons that we travel through in our life of faith. Seasons of joy and seasons of grief. Seasons of confusion and seasons of discernment. Seasons of abundance and seasons of scarcity. And God is there in all of them. Psalm 139, the Psalm for this morning, assures us that God is present with us in each and every season of our life with God. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. And you, God, are acquainted with all my ways. The God we worship is all-knowing. He is, in theological language, omniscient. This means that God knows everything about you, and God knows everything about me. It is significant that we acknowledge that it is God who has searched us out, not the other way around. You see, God made the first move. He initiated the conversation. He initiated the relationship. God searches us out. The word there for search relates a digging in, a drilling down, an investigating of our lives. He searches us to know us. God is all-knowing of his entire creation. Look at how many times the word know or its equivalent is present in these first few verses. He knows us. He knows our movements, he knows our words, he discerns our motives. And God's knowing is an intimate knowing, yada. It's that knowing between Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, that very intimacy of knowing one another. That's how God knows us. God is both infinite and intimate at the same time. This mystery is such a wonderful reality. It's almost too hard to take in. The Creator God knows each of us, for He has formed our inward parts. He has knitted us together in our mother's womb. We praise Him, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is such comfort to be found in that reality. The God, that God knows each of us intimately. There is a cemetery off the French coast of Normandy dedicated to the unknown dead of World War II. No one knows who exactly is buried there. There are no names on the headstones, no birth dates, no death dates. But there is one that knows 
one that knows all, one who holds the sufferings and sacrifices of this life. Across each gravestone in that cemetery are inscribed the words, known by God, known by God. And it is because that we are known by God, we can be an open book with God because he already knows what is there. Yet to be fully known means that no secrets are hid. The secrets in our lives with one another and seemingly before God can distort us and oppress us. To hide behind someone that we are not puts distance in our relationship with one another and with God. It takes courage to share our secrets with one another. It requires a great deal of trust to do that. God longs for us to be honest before him, to be open and unafraid in our prayers. And when we are able to do that, we can receive his gift of grace as he lovingly remakes us. As one has said, his seeking us removes all the panic from faith and all the anxiety from hope. We can rest in the knowledge that God searches for us and knows us. God's uncompromising search and comprehensive knowledge of us means that there is no place that we can go where God is not there. Even when we are not thinking about God, he is thinking about us. Think about that a minute. Even when we're not thinking about God, he is thinking about us. God is not only all-knowing, God is all-present. He is omnipresent. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to, a heaven, to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God cannot be avoided. He fully exists everywhere, all at once. This too is a great comfort to us, that there is not one circumstance in our life where God is absent, even though at times it certainly feels that way. Yet just as in God's all-knowing of us, this comfort of God's ever-presence with us at times can be experienced as intimidating. Sometimes we feel the need to hide like Adam and Eve did because they were afraid. Maybe we were afraid of God's judgment or we're ashamed of ourselves or we feel guilty and unworthy of being totally ourselves before God. Yet friends, do you not know the promise of scripture that in God's love and provision, we have been clothed in Christ. We have been made right with God. We have no reason to hide from God. As I so often say before the prayer of confession on Sunday morning, God loves you just as you are. He cannot love us any more or any less. Yet he loves us too much that he longs to leave us as we are. And his desire is to grow us and to change us more and more into the image of his son. 
And it is in our honest and bold confession of our need and desire to belong to him, to be his children, that he is able by his spirit to do that very thing, to grow us, to challenge us, to change us. I think if truth be told, I think each of us would probably say we really do not want to be known through and through by anybody. We like to keep secrets. And there are times in our lives that we really don't want to be found either. We'd rather hide and run away. When the psalmist said, God hems you in behind and before, he literally uses a term that means besiege, to encircle or surround as if in a battle. Many in this world of battles and wars have experienced being besieged. But have you ever thought of being besieged by God? God wants to win this battle of knowing you, of finding you, and giving you himself. It's a wonderful thing to be searched, to be known, to be besieged by this God. C.S. Lewis once described his conversion in terms of a long siege resulting in a blessed surrender. You must picture me alone in that room, he writes, night after night, feeling that whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of God, of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet, that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. I gave in, and I admitted that God was God, and I knelt, and I prayed. Perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. And Lewis goes on to give thanks to the God of Psalm 139, saying this, I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility which will accept a convert on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own two feet. But who can duly adore this God, this love, which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking and struggling and resentful, darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? The hardness of God, he writes, is kinder than the softness of men and God's compulsion is our liberation. This is the God who searches us, who besieges us, who desires to call us his own. Lewis learned what it meant to be honest in his questions and struggles before God, a God who is good and faithful and present, and a God who never gives up on his pursuit of us. God is all-knowing, he is all-present, and he is all-powerful, he is omnipotent. No matter how out of control our lives may seem, no matter the chaos, the pandemic, the brokenness of our days, no matter what the future holds, 
God is in control. And he is in control with a power that is greater than death. The psalmist writes, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, God. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. In Holy Scripture, the sea was seen as a place of chaos because of the great and turbulent storms which formed over it. So here in this passage, we see chaos, terror, despair, darkness, which each one of us at one time or other in our life will experience. Sickness, death, poverty, disappointment, despair, unanswered prayers. How can our darkness here in this life be as light to God? This is a great mystery to us on this side of heaven and on one to one to which we cannot answer. Theologian artist Makoto Fujiyama is working on a project at Duke Divinity School, painting each of the Psalms. When he painted this Psalm, Psalm 139, Apparently overnight, some of his paint mixture ran in the painting, and the next morning, there was a large, dark shadow interspersed in his large triptych of blue, a darkness that he had not planned on being there. He says he could have easily painted over it, but after meditating on this psalm, he decided to leave it. His belief is that it spoke of this mystery of the reality of darkness being as light to God. It is a mystery where we live on this side of eternity, and we can all be comforted that no matter how dark it gets, God in his steadfast love will never let go of our hand, his right hand, shall always hold us. As Paul writes in Romans, neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Many times when this psalm is read, verses 19 to 22 are left out. I've done it myself many a time. This is some serious revenge language spoken to the enemies of God. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Do I not hate those who hate you? And do I not loathe against those who rise up against you? But this is Holy Scripture. We are not to be like Thomas Jefferson who cut out parts of the Bible that didn't sit well with him. You see, the Psalms articulate our anger and they speak to the injustices of our world. But before we go pointing the finger at others, we must always acknowledge the wickedness 
that resides in our own lives and those enemies that live within our own hearts. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who in writing about the revenge language and the anger of the Psalms wrote this. He said, only the person who is totally free of his own desire for revenge and free of hate and who is sure not to use his prayers to satisfy his own lust for revenge. Only such a, that person can pray these curses on another. And friends, we are all not that person. We all struggle with our anger, with our revenge. And God gives us a language to be honest with that in our prayers. Psalm 139 is a fitting start, is an invitation to learn together how to pray the Psalms for the road, for the many seasons of life that we will experience. This Psalm is one of my most cherished in all of Scripture. It was read on my wedding day. I read it at people's bedsides who find themselves in dark places. I read it to new moms who've birthed a new baby. I read it with people who doubt that God is good or doubt that God would desire a relationship with them, that he would pursue them and search them out. It speaks to us about honesty before God. It is in this honest place with God where prayer becomes real. The children's book, The Velveteen Rabbit, depicts that the process of becoming real oftentimes takes us on a journey that we had not planned on, a journey that feels more like being worn out than becoming something new. But something new is made through this journey of love and honesty in our prayers that are real with the God who created us. As the skin horse tells the velveteen rabbit in the nursery, real isn't how you are made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a really long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asks the rabbit. Sometimes, says the skin horse. It doesn't happen all at once. You become. It takes a long, long time. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out. Friends, this is a reality of our real prayer with a loving God who searches us and knows us from whom we cannot hide. In the truth of our hearts, we discover that the Spirit of God is already in those places calling us to his searching heart, calling us to be found in his home, in his heart, walking beside us in those dark places and granting us his presence and rest both now and in the days to come. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to challenge you this morning to pray this psalm every day this week. Listen to God's Spirit. What is He speaking to you at? 
What dark place, what deep place does he know you? I want to close this morning with a unison prayer. It's a well-known prayer entitled The Colic for Purity from the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. It was thought to be written by a man named Alcuin of York in the 700s. He was the most learned man of his day, and Charlemagne called him into the intellectual revival in Europe. He was very well respected, and Charlemagne listened to him. And it was Alcuin who convinced Charlemagne to cease forcing non-Christians to be baptized or face death if they weren't baptized. You see, Alcuin understood the vital importance of honesty with God, of a God who knows us inside and out. So let us join our hearts together and let us pray. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Pastor Leslie. If you'd like to find out more about our church or via video of the full service, visit our website, westminstercharlotte.org. We look forward to seeing you soon.